Uh, Heavenly Father, we join with our friends, our brothers and sisters all around the world, including in Liberia and Mexico, because this morning we are proclaiming, because he lives, because Jesus lives, we can face tomorrow. Face anything, because sin and death have been conquered. The kids said, it is finished with their arms. And this makes us conquerors too. We know you hold the future, and we can trust you. So Lord, we do entrust the high schoolers in Mexico to you. And we pray, as Becca, our youth pastor, asked us last week, we pray for their safety on the construction site, for their hearts to be transformed, and for everyone they encounter to see Jesus in them. And we entrust our Liberia team to you, and we do pray for their health, their safety, and for unity as a team as you continue to knit their hearts together with their Liberian friends, and that you, Lord, would draw them all closer to you. We entrust to you, Lord, those who are hurting, those who are sick or recovering, those who are grieving or dealing with hardships of all kinds in this life as we know it. And lastly, we raise up all of the unrest around the world to you. How we need you, Father. We need your peace, your protection, and we ask for extra faith to trust in you, especially for those closest to these conflicts. May we all find hope in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus today and in your love that sent your Son to save us. We raise our whole morning to you, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. <laughs> and, and the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen. Come. Behold, see, he is coming before you to Galilee. And see, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and went to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Good morning. And they, <laughs> and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go to Galilee. There, go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And so, everything has changed. Great job. That was fantastic. Yes. Ha, ha, ha.
Wow, we need more of that, I think. Well, good morning. morning. It's great to see all of you this morning. It's a privilege to be here on Easter with all of you. My name is Sean Reese. I'm one of the pastors here. If you don't know me or you don't recognize me in this, um, but it is really special to be able to preach Easter. Something happened on that first Easter that makes all the difference in the world. Something happened on that first Easter that brought a new reality into our world. Something happened on that first Easter that had never happened before and everything has changed. Dr. Paul Williams, professor emeritus now of Indian and Tibetan philosophy at the University of Bristol and a formerly practicing Buddhist, surprised his family and friends when in 1999 he became a Christian. He describes his journey in his book called The Unexpected Way. And in the book he says this, he says, if the God we meet in Jesus is real, and if he was really risen on the third day, then everything changes. And he became a Christian because of that. If Jesus was really risen on the third day, as the kids just acted out from the Gospel of Matthew, everything changes, says Dr. Williams. Now, if what Matthew claimed to have happened actually didn't happen, then nothing has changed. If what Matthew said happened didn't actually happen, then it's fake news and we should all just go home now. Actually, if it didn't happen, we would have never heard of Jesus of Nazareth again. Had it not happened, we would have never heard of any of his teaching. We would have never heard about the parables of the Good Samaritan and the prodigal son. We would have never heard of the Sermon on the Mount. We would have never heard of Mary or Joseph or the child in the manger. There would be no Christmas season. There would be no gospel. And there would be no good resulting from the gospel. So there would be no hospitals. There would be no public schools. There would be no city team or homeless shelters. There would be no rotating safe car park. There would be no artwork from Rembrandt or music from Handel and Bach. There would be no great cathedrals. If Jesus were still in the grave today, there would be no gospel and there would be no good resulting from that gospel. This is why Paul says in Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But the fact is, something happened. Something happened that first Easter which changed the course of history and changed everything else. So what happened? 
Well, to understand that, we need to understand what happened the Friday before Easter Sunday. The previous Friday afternoon, Jesus of Nazareth had been nailed hand and foot to a Roman cross. The Romans had devised this cruelest of punishments as a way to declare the great power of Rome and to declare the dire consequences for those who would not conform to the Roman way. Why was Jesus crucified? Well, according to Matthew's gospel, Jesus had spent the last three years preaching, teaching, and healing. He had brought love and life to countless people. Many, many people had discovered wholeness, peace, and joy by encountering him. Many people who were considered unlovable had discovered love through Jesus. In the hopeless culture of the first century, countless people had found hope through him. Yet he was crucified. So if he was so good, why was he crucified? Well, there were many charges laid against him, but the most likely reason was that he had committed blasphemy. Jesus did, in fact, claim to be uniquely sent by God. Even more than that, he claimed that God was his father and that he and his father were somehow one. Even more, he called himself, I am. Using the very words that God uses for himself. Now, if those statements are not true, then he has in fact committed blasphemy. So Jesus was crucified on Friday. That afternoon, after he died, some men take the body down off of the cross, pack the body with spices, wrap the body in clothes, and lay the body in an unused tomb. The tomb is then sealed by rolling a great stone in front of it. Roman soldiers are posted outside the tomb, guarding it. And many of the women who had traveled with Jesus over the past three years watched all of these events. Jesus was dead and in the grave on Friday. Saturday was the Sabbath, so Jesus' followers rested and grieved. And the whole world watched and waited in silence. And that brings us to Sunday. What happened on that first Easter Sunday? Well, Matthew tells us that two of the women who had watched over those events on Friday went to the tomb. Both are named Mary. The point is they knew exactly where to go. They didn't go to the wrong tomb. As the women are making their way to the tomb, there's a great earthquake. At this point, Matthew, as narrator, says, Behold! Matthew loves this word. Uses it throughout his gospel. It's a key word in our text used four times. To Matthew, behold always means something incredibly surprising. It's as if he's saying, I know this is going to surprise you, but take a look. Look and really see what is happening. Turns out to see is also a theme in our text. 
The word is used, also used four times. So in this short text, we are being invited to really look, really look, come and see these incredibly surprising events. And behold, the end of verse two, look and see what happens. An angel. This angel apparently uses the earthquake to move the stone and then sits radiantly on top of it. Of course, the Roman soldiers guarding the tomb become terribly afraid. They uh, tremble, as our actors did such a good job of. They tremble. They have a <laughs> manquake. Same word as earthquake. Uh, they have a manquake and they fall to the ground as dead men. Now, you have to really see what is happening here. Roman soldiers at that time did not fall to the ground for anyone. For anyone. God was shaking the foundations of the entire world with the resurrection, including Rome's. The angel then turns to the women and encourages them. Verse 5, don't be afraid. I know you're seeking Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. As he said. Of the four gospels, Matthew is most concerned with things happening just as they were promised. The angel says Jesus has risen just as, or as, as he said. Throughout Matthew's gospel, Matthew records Jesus promising over and over again that he would be raised. I count six times that he promised it. And now the angel says, look and see, it's happened. It's happened as he said. The promise maker is the promise keeper. Behold, look, see. The promise maker is the promise keeper. The angel then invites the women to come and see. Come on in, ladies. See that the grave is really empty. Check it out. Do your scientific research. Use your senses. Investigate the new reality. Really look and really see what has just happened. A new reality has come into the world. Everything has changed. The angel then commissions the women. Go tell the others that everything has changed. Go tell it on the mountains. The new age has begun. How beautiful are the feet of those who go away and preach this good news that the grave was empty. The women obey the angel and they become the official heralds of the greatest good news of all time. You know, I said it at Christmas, I'll say it here. This story is a wonderful reversal of values. Not only is a woman the leading human actor in the drama of Christmas, 
Women are the leading human actors in the drama of that first Easter morning. And you may know that women were so marginalized in the ancient world that testimony, their testimony wasn't valid in the court of law. Yet for the events that change everything for all time, women are the leading actors. As one writer says, in a purely fictional narrative, one would have avoided making women the crown witnesses of the resurrection. But this story is not fiction. This story really happened. And it is the supreme intervention of God into human existence. And women are the official heralds of that truth, a wonderful reversal of values. Matthew says the women began running away with fear and great joy, quaking fear and awe-filled joy. Can they really go together? Fear and joy? I think so. I think we can feel both of them at the same time, can't we? A good example would be my wedding. I had great joy, but I think I had some fear too. <laughs> my wife says I even had panic. Um, <laughs> well, now look and see what happens next. Behold, verse 9, the risen Jesus meets the women. And he simply says, hello. <laughs> Greetings in the ESV. Good morning in the NIV. Look and see how the women respond. They fall down at his feet. They grab his feet and they worship. They grab his feet. Yes, Jesus has a physical body. He's no ghost. He's a real person with a real body. It's a transformed body, but it's a real resurrected body. So take note. See what has happened here. This is no resuscitation. See, all the other raising stories in the Gospels were resuscitations. Jesus resuscitated Jairus' daughter. Jesus resuscitated the widow from Nain's son. Jesus resuscitated his good friend, Lazarus. But Jairus' daughter, the widow, widow of Nain's son, and Lazarus would all die again. But Jesus, Jesus is resurrected into a transformed body never to die again. See, Jesus is not rescued from death. He's not brought back from the grave to live the life he had before. Jesus goes all the way through the grave, letting death do everything it wants to do, and then he comes out the other side into a new kind of existence, into an existence that no one had ever lived and where he would never die. Jesus is the first person to be resurrected. And he's resurrected into a real body. But also, 
Look and see that the women not only grab his feet, but they worship him. They worship him. He is human, but he's also God. The women have moved from quaking fear to mega joy to authentic worship. This is the only appropriate response to the risen Jesus to fall at his feet and say, my Lord and my God. Jesus then closes the scene by echoing the commission that the angel had already given. Don't be afraid, ladies. Don't be afraid. You've come and you've seen the good news. Don't be afraid to go and tell. Go and tell my brothers and sisters to meet me in Galilee. They will see me there. Well, that's Matthew's version of that first Easter morning. Only 10 verses. 10 short verses. But 10 short verses that make all the difference in the world. 10 short verses that change everything. So, so what has changed? What is it that has changed for all time? Well, how long do you have? How long do you have today? I guess it's Easter, so we shouldn't take too long, but I invite you to now come and see just a few things that have changed, just a few. And a few being six. I had to keep it short. (laughs) Because Jesus lives, death has met its match and has been defeated. For the first time in history, death did not have the last word. Because of Jesus' resurrection, the last word is now life. Death finally met someone it couldn't hold down. And as a result, the reign of death has been broken. And the reign of life has begun. Because he lives, we no longer need to fear death. In relationship with the risen Jesus, death does not have the last word over us either. Death only has the second to last word. The last word over us is now life. So we don't have to be afraid. Let's linger here just for a moment. Most people will say that all fear is ultimately rooted in the fear of death. For example, the fear of pandemics is clearly rooted in the fear of death, but so is the fear of being alone, the fear of financial ruin, the fear of failure, and on it goes, all rooted in the fear of death. And yes, death is real and death is awful, but it is no longer final for those in relationship with Jesus. Because of his resurrection, death is no longer the monster it once was. And once that fact gets a hold of us, it sets us free. It sets us free from the fear of death and slowly unravels all of those other fears. And we're set free to really live. 
Because he lives, we can now trust everything about Jesus. Everything. We can bank on his teaching. All of his teaching. The resurrection is God's great stamp of approval on the Jesus way of living in this world and on his way for how to be truly human. The Sermon on the Mount is one example. The resurrection is God's great stamp of approval in that sermon. On the way of being meek and merciful and poor in spirit. The way of loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. And the golden rule. And on it goes. The Sermon on the Mount tells us how to live and tells us how to be truly human. And the resurrection confirms it. Confirms it. This is truly the way. Or this is the way, as the Mandalorian says. (laughs) We can also bank on Jesus' promises. Every promise he ever made. The resurrection says that Jesus is always telling us the truth, which means we can count on all his promises. I will be with you always, he says. I will rest you if you come to me, he says. I will lift you up on the last day, he says. I will go to prepare a place for you and I will come back again to take you to be with me, he says. And the resurrection says we can bank on all of it. We can throw our weight on all of it. All of his promises. We can also bank on his audacious claims. His audacious claims about himself. The resurrection is the great yes to all Jesus says about himself. I am the bread of life. Easter says, yes, you are. I am the light of the world. Easter says, yes, you are. I am the good shepherd. Easter says, yes, you are. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Easter says, yes, you are. I am the great I am. Easter says, yes, you are, Jesus. All of them. We can bank on all the claims he made about himself because of Easter. So we can trust everything about Jesus, his teaching, his promises, and his claims, and everything else because of the resurrection. Because he lives, we can take our stand on his crucifixion. The resurrection of Jesus confirms that his crucifixion really did accomplish everything the New Testament says it did. The resurrection is the Father's great yes to the cross. Yes, the cross really is the victory over sin and evil. Yes, the crucifixion does rescue us from all that enslaves us. Yes, the blood of Jesus does reconcile sinners to God. Yes, we are forgiven. Yes, we are redeemed. Yes, everything, then everything that needs to be done for unholy people to be in relationship with the holy God has been done. Yes, he paid it all. Yes, it is finished. Yes, the resurrection confirms that Good Friday is indeed good. Because he lives, he's at work in this world right now. 
Because he is alive, he's doing the very things he did before he was crucified. He's bringing his kingdom of wholeness and peace and joy. He's healing and renewing and reconciling. He's shining his light and love into the dark places. He's working. He's working in our world. Which, of course, means he's also working in us. Because he's alive, he can put his spirit, his Holy Spirit within us. And that means on a personal level that you and I can be changed. We can be changed. Now Jesus accepts us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us unchanged. Sometimes I think we wonder if we really can be changed. But through his spirit, we can be. We can't change ourselves. But with the spirit in us, we can be changed. The spirit empowers us to change by slowly causing us to walk in the Jesus way. He's at work in us. As Paul says later, we can be confident that he who began a good work in us will carry it to completion. That's a promise. Will carry it to completion. So even if we don't see it, even if we don't feel it, Jesus is working. He's working in our world and in us. And he will never leave us. Because he lives, we're never alone. We're never alone. He is with us. He can work out that promise that promise he made to those first disciples at the end of Matthew that he will be with us always to the very end of the age. Always, always, always with us. We're never alone. So that's a lot of good news, I think. And that's a lot of hope Living and unshakable hope. Before that first Easter morning, none of that was true. But it all changed as a result of that first Easter morning. And much, much more changed. Like, we now have Christmas, we now have hospitals and public schools, and homeless shelters, and city team, and RSCP, and Rembrandt's paintings, and the music of Handel and Bach, and the great cathedrals, and, 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 and everything else. Everything has changed because of the first Easter. Amen? Amen. Well, as Sharon said, as is tradition here at PVCC, we, we end our Easter sermon with a story, with a testimony. So I'm going to call up a good friend of mine, Jill Maddock, to share her story. Many of you might know Jill because she serves, I think, everywhere in PVCC. So let me grab the, uh, the podium.
podium for you. The lights are bright. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Thank you for sharing. Good morning. I am Jill Maddock. Um, I am the wife to John, mom to Jacob, Josie, Jordan, and Jenna. I've been coming to PBCC since 1998 after graduating from Azusa Pacific University. You may know me through the Women's Bible Study or Noah's Place or Summer Camp or Teaching Sunday School. A quick snapshot of my history. I was raised in a Christian home on the East Coast with two loving parents and an older brother who decided he loved me once he went off to college. My dad was in medical sales uh, and traveled a lot. Uh, my mom stayed home with my brother and I. My favorite Bible verse has always been Jeremiah 29:11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. As I look back on my life, I have seen God's fingerprints on different events. I don't know that I would have chosen the plans that he had laid out for me, but I have hope knowing that he has been present through it all. During my second year in college, my dad's company relocated from Boston to San Jose. Not wanting to be across the country from them, I decided to transfer schools from Pennsylvania to Azusa. So once I finished my classes in May and moved home, we packed up the house, headed west, and landed at a cute little apartment on Stevens Creek just adjacent at the fire station right down the street from here. We had such a fun time exploring California and I got plugged into the college group at PBC Palo Alto. August eventually rolled around, which meant it was time for me to head off down to school in Southern California. I remember there was a concert that I wanted to attend up here in San Jose at the end of October, and my parents agreed to fly me home for the weekend. While I was home, my dad headed out on a business trip, so my mom and I took him to the airport on Sunday morning, and I went back to LA later that evening. That was the last time I ever saw my dad. On October 31st, 1996, he died in a plane crash while he was in Brazil on business. My mom got the phone call at five in the morning. She made her own phone calls to my brother and my grandmother and then hopped on a plane to get me from school. I was in math class when my RA pulled me out and said we needed to talk about the evening's activities, all the while knowing full well what I was about to walk into. My mom, the dean of students, the RD, and the school counselor all waiting to tell me the news about my dad. But we had just moved from Massachusetts to California because of my dad. How could God have taken him away? I wasn't angry necessarily. I was frustrated and confused. Why would God lead us here and then take away the reason for us being here? I don't know that I ever received the answer, but I did receive hope from the pastor who presided over my dad's funeral when he quoted Acts 13, 36. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid to rest. My dad, whose name is David, had finished his work for God and God took him home. But because of Jesus' resurrection and the salvation that it brings, I know I will see him again when my work is finished. 
Upon returning to school after the funeral, I was put in touch with a fellow student who had a similar experience to mine, but a bit more drastic. Both of her parents died when she was just 16. She was a great support to me, and we concluded that maybe one of the reasons that she had gone through her tragedy was so that, because uh, God knew that someone would help me, sorry, God knew I would need someone to help me through mine. Fast forward many years. I've now become a teacher, a wife, and a mom. I have an amazing small group of women that I study with weekly. I'm involved with the children's ministry here at church. I'm homeschooling my youngest daughter at home. My kids are busy with sports and extracurriculars. Life was good until I discovered a lump on my left breast. Having had a physical about six months earlier, I decided uh, I didn't say anything, hoping it would just go away, since my doctor had recently deemed me healthy. After about a week, I finally decided to share my discovery with John, who encouraged me to go get it checked out. As I sat in the waiting room before my first mammogram, I noticed Lois Lindquist, one of the PBCC deacons, also waiting, and I felt a strange sense of relief. Now, Lois and I are not close. In fact, I don't even think we had been officially introduced at that point, but I knew who she was, and I can't explain my feeling of calm other than God's fingerprints. Two mammograms, two biopsies, and one ultrasound later, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, and my life suddenly became overrun with doctor's appointments, hospital visits, fear, and a lot of questions. I have responsibilities. How am I supposed to deal with cancer? I don't have time for this. I'm a stay-at-home mom running a household. No one in my family has cancer. How did I get cancer? Am I gonna lose my hair? What's gonna happen to me? What about my kids and my husband? My surgery was March 4th, 2020. While recovering at home, we kept hearing on the news how this COVID-19 was gaining momentum. A week later was the shutdown. Uh, my kid's last day of school was Friday the 13th, and John was suddenly working from home. Many saw this as a total inconvenience, but I saw it as a blessing. I was homeschooling my fifth grader and now going through chemo and radiation. I could not have done that if my kids and my husband hadn't been home to help. I would not have made it through six chemo treatments without knowing my Bible study girls were praying for me and spent sending Bible verses for me to rest on. I remember my second chemo treatment. I was feeling very anxious and fighting tears. I knew the nausea and fatigue that was about to descend on my body and sitting alone in that big blue cold chair was not helping. I texted my Bible study girls with a simple praying hands emoji and quickly received verses with promises from, of hope from God and my fears were eased. Some of my favorite verses include Isaiah 43, 1, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. John 10:4. Jesus, as the good shepherd, goes on ahead of them. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. 2 Chronicles 32, 8. The Lord our God is with us to help us fight our battles. It has been three years since my diagnosis, and there is currently no evidence of disease in my body. 
since my diagnosis, four women in, a, in my circle of friends have been diagnosed with breast cancer, and I have been able to encourage, pray for, and support them through their own journeys. Maybe one of the reasons God allowed me to go through my tragedy was so I could help them through theirs. My view of God has definitely changed over the years and through my experiences. When I was in my 20s, he was this all-powerful being who created the world and wanted everyone to love him. I went to church because it was what I had always done on Sunday mornings. I joined a Bible study because that's what good Christian women are supposed to do. But today, he is my Lord and Savior, my ever-present help in times of trouble. He is still all-powerful, but he also desires an intimate relationship with me, and I enjoy learning more about him. I know he answers prayer, even if it's not how would I would have it answered. He has never left my side. I know he has a plan for me because I see his fingerprints. You did it. Good job. <laughs> At this time, I'm going to pray for Jill and just thank the Lord for her. And while I do, I'm going to invite the worship team and the choir to come up quietly. So pray with me. Well, Father, we, uh, we thank you for your great love for all of us and that your steadfast love endures forever. We thank you for Jill and the journey you have her on Thank you for all the fingerprints of your love and your grace and your mercy throughout her life. We thank you that you have given her eyes to see all of those fingerprints. We thank you for her family. We thank you for all of her Bible study gals who encouraged her to look to you. We thank you for this great living and unshakable hope that you've given her. And we pray that you would continue to surprise her with more moments of your love, your grace, your faithfulness, your fingerprints. Now receive this benediction. Now that you've come and seen, don't be afraid. Go and tell your neighbors, your coworkers, your colleagues, your teammates, your classmates that everything has changed because of Easter. Invite them to come and see that the grave is indeed empty. The promise maker is the promise keeper. Amen. So go forward in that living and unshakable hope. Amen. Have a great Easter. Amen.